Go ahead and take out your bold and follow along with me, <laughs> because sometimes like uh, that prehistoric creature who was determined to get his nut, uh, he was focused, he was committed, he was aggressive, and that nut was not going to get away from him. He had an internal desire that was driving him. The battle was between the law of nature and the, the creature's desire for survival. He was on a mission and he was focused. He had a self-motivated, made a drive that kept him clinging to that nut in face of some mighty opposition. And just when things were settling down, he gets smacked by something else. Often, sometimes that's how it is when, when we get into challenges. Can you relate to that critter? <laughs> Ever find yourself in someone else's path? You are moving down one track unknown to, uh, to you uh, that you're actually on somebody else's racetrack. You're going down one way and whoa, then there's conflict. Today, as we take a look at James chapter four, discover the joy of living by God's agenda. James takes a very practical approach for us to look and realize that there are, there are quarrels, there are fights, there is conflict that can happen. But how we respond to that is very important. They don't just come from from external desire. Sometimes it comes from internal desire or sometimes within the group itself. Let's take a look at James chapter 4, and I want to read verses 1 to 12 to be able to get ourselves set for this section of Scripture. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or don't you think that Scripture says without reason the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Heavenly Father, as we come before you to look at this section of Scripture, we thank you for the practical application that we can find in James. For every one of us, at some time or some point, goes through some conflict or challenge. And Lord, we need to be able to align ourselves to your schedule to your agenda to be able to respond in a godly way the lord open up our hearts and minds as we look at this section of scripture that we might honor you in christ's name amen well written into the context that james is writing to it's mainly to jewish believers that he is writing and like our prehistoric creature uh, friend here in that clip who is clinging to that, that acorn, some people are more committed to their ideas and to their desires than to honoring Christ and building up the church. James is writing to these 12 tribes, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 1. Those are Messianic believers. And they're scattered throughout the Roman Empire, Assyria, Cyprus, and what would be modern Turkey. The church 
is only 20 or 30 years old. But it's long enough for strife and difficulty and challenges to begin to come to the surface. And so he addresses those problems that have started inside the camp, not to those that have come from outside. And today in our fast-paced modern society, it is said that every five to seven years that a church goes through an agenda war. And so we have to be able to know how to respond to that, those challenges and that conflict in a godly way. In James 4, we are reminded of the internal battles that we can have individually and corporately. Not battles of survival, but battles and struggle to trust the Lord and to follow Him corporately or else to follow our own desires. Listen, when we pursue our plans without seeking God, what we are doing is we are missing the joy of living by God's agenda. So the first thing I see as I look at James chapter 4 is to write God into your daily schedule. To write God into your daily schedule. What does that mean? That means that if we don't put God as a top priority in our day, He will be the last thing on our mind before we go to bed. Do you have a scheduled time that you meet with the Lord daily and study God's Word? Do you write it in on your calendar? Because you should guard that appointment just as much as you guard any other appointments. And respect it as you would any other engagement. Because if you do, you're less likely to find yourself in a situation where James refers to. That I'm going to be more consistent if I actually write God at 6.30 in the morning. For some of you, that might be a little earlier or it might be a little later. But trying to make sure that I'm going to be consistent in writing God in my calendar. Why, are, why, are you, why is that important so that you might be equipped to be able to handle the conflict and the challenges that each day faces? Because you have started out with a system check. And there has been a realignment of the heart. That He is the first thing in our schedule. The Scripture, as we're looking at it, James chapter 4, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. The Bible Knowledge Commentary in, re- in relation to this section says, Fights, quarrels, lust, hate, envy, pride, and sin are words that stain this portion of James's letter like ink blots. In stark contrast to the closing words of chapter 3, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. But in chapter 4, he opens with fights and quarrels. James confronted the despicable behavior with valor. Furthermore, he gave clear advice on how to quell the storms that so, are so detrimental to the spiritual growth and maturity of believers. A believer must turn hatred into humility, judgment into justice, and boasting into belief. You see, when our internal struggles and conflicts take, our, take over more time than our external struggle against sin and against communicating the gospel... To the lost in impacting our community, it's time for us to be willing to revise our schedule and our plans and to write God into the schedule. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on what you might, what you get on your pleasures. Now, the interesting thing is we look at the term pleasure here, which appears twice. It's referring to a hedonistic desire. A lust for self-satisfaction. It is the source of the English word hedonism. The philosophy that views pleasure as the chief goal of life. There's a longing and a desire that is ungodly. That is, we take pleasure in seeing another believer struggling in the spirit of a hedonistic philosophy. It's self-centered. 
What is meant by kill and covet in this section of Scripture? It is best to translate that as hate and covet or lust. With a reference to bottled up anger, bitterness or resentment. Jesus had this to say in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, the point is that words can kill. They can kill a dream. They can kill a spirit. They can kill a relationship. And we seem to hang on to the pain of a word inappropriately spoken to us longer than we do the pain of a spanking or any other form of discipline. Therefore, James reminds us earlier to improve our listening skills. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to becoming angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. By writing God into our calendar at the beginning of each day, we are more likely to be willing to revise our plans to be aligned with God's when we encounter conflict and quarrels. We can approach each situation with a godly attitude instead of a selfish desire. Why is that important? Because if you don't, you will be more interested, not in righteousness, not in in what is right or wrong, but more interested in. And winning. Does God hear prayers that that are like, oh, dear Lord, help that person to come around to seeing your will when really the motive is help them to see my way. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend on what you get on your pleasures. So a reminder is in this section of passage is that we are to seek the Lord with pure motives. Maybe you've seen this personal ad that this gentleman put in the newspaper that said, wanted good woman must be able to clean, cook, sew, dig worms and clean fish. Must have boat and motor. Please send picture of boat and motor. Now, I'm sure that guy lives up north in the boundary water somewhere. He doesn't live here in the Twin Cities. But if we're going to write God into our schedules, we have to start our prayers like this from Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It softens the heart. It strengthens the backbone and prepares the feet to walk in righteousness. As Thomas Jefferson said, when the heart is right, the feet are swift. Or as one anonymous person said, the most motivated person on earth is a person who's 5'10", he's a non-swimmer, and he's in six feet of water. He's really moving in. Well, how do you get onto God's agenda? Intentionally, you make room for him in your life. You have to make a choice. You have a clear focus. And second, you submit yourself to God wholeheartedly. I I tried to find another way to to revamp that and look at it. As I began to look at the scripture, I couldn't. It simply says, submit yourself to God wholeheartedly. That's really the meaning of it. As as, As James is pointing us to that. 
He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? He uses a very extreme illustration there. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or don't you think that Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely. The Spirit of God is trying to move us from operating off of a worldly agenda to His agenda. The best way for me to summarize that is to live an authentic, godly life. To live an authentic, godly life. You see, the world is dying for authenticity. They're dying to see people who are able to be honest with their struggles. They're able to to be able to see that we don't all have it together, but we know one who does. Because of the battles that believers face in our secular society today, because of the many distractions and the temptations, the opportunities to live and compromise and be mediocre, how important it is for us to be real Be real about the struggles. Rejoice in the victories and give God all the glory. In his book, The the Emotionally Healthy Church, Peter Scazzaro talks about this and he he looks at, he uses the example of the iceberg. And the iceberg, the interesting thing about it is only 10% of it is above the waterline. 90% of it is below the waterline. And the late uh, Dag, I can't pronounce his last name, but he was the secretary of the United Nations, United Nations, suggested that we have become adept at exploring outer space. But we have not developed similar skills in exploring our personal inner space. He wrote, the longest journey of any person is the journey inward. Most of us feel much more equipped to manipulate objects, control situations and do things than to take the very long journey inward. He goes on to talk about painful honesty. You see, what I'm talking about requires unmasked painful honesty. Truth, Jesus said, will set us free. Honesty requires fully looking at the whole truth. I call it unmasked because like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Eden, we'd rather hide from truth and protect ourselves than come out exposed naked before God. This has been a problem of sin since the beginning of time. It is painful because while the truth ultimately liberates us and brings us closer to God, initially it is something we would rather avoid. The principle of the iceberg. Are you part of a small community of Bible study where you're able to go a little deeper? Are you part of, a, of an ABF or, or an accountability group where you can be painfully honest with others? If not, get thyself in one. Where you can develop relationships, where you can be accountable with one another, and you can be honest with where you are. Here is the most important truth of this text I see is in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, you must resist demonic influence on your life. It is going to come. It's going to happen. You may not be aware of it. You may. You may not know when that is coming. It may be all of a sudden or you may recognize what's going on. But you need to be equipped for the day of challenge to turn to Christ and ask for strength. Here's the call. Look at James 4, 7. The key truth. Submit yourselves 
than to God. We need to focus not on the fleeing part where it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But the precursor to that is submit. Psalm fifty fifteen says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Why submit? There's two reasons. Submitting requires us to face our own pride of trying to solve problems on our own. And to humble ourselves, we have to demonstrate that we are more interested in God's plan and agenda than our own. And second, it alerts us to Satan's deception. We can then be aware of ungodly practices that can develop and creep into our way of thinking, into our life and into our church. Now, these two terms that are used in chapter four, verse seven, submit and resist. Submit is a military term to to be subordinated, to render obedience and resist is to take a stand. So like a good soldier, he knows whom to salute and whom to fight. A soldier of Christ is not confused about whom he or she bows the knee to or to who or what is the enemy of the cross. First Peter five, eight, a familiar passage, be self-controlled and alert your enemy. Yes, you have one. And it isn't the guy that you're working with or the person that's under the same roof as you. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be fed to the lions. I don't want to be devil food. Resist him. How? It takes you back to that submit part. Standing firm in your faith because of, you know, that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. It doesn't say that we are to agree or to to criticize one another about the timing, the content or, or whether or not the suffering is right or wrong. Be compassionate as they are trying to stand firm in their faith. Do your values ever collide with our culture? Sure, they do all the time. Consider a pharmacist in Wisconsin who had this challenge. Neil Noyson found himself on the front line of a culture war. Less than three days after taking his job at a pharmacy in Kmart in Wisconsin, he received a request to buy a Wisconsin University students for contraceptive liostrin. Now, he's a devout Catholic and he refused to dispense the birth control And after a mission trip that he had made to Calcutta, he became even more convicted of this. And he said, finally, my conscience caught up with me. I couldn't do it anymore. I felt like I was being used by the system. I was becoming part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Well, now this student, uh, she she took her prescription after he refused and went to another pharmacy and and uh, the and the pharmacist called and asked for him to transfer it over. And, and he refused to do that. Now, normally uh, his boss, who knew his convictions, uh, well, would have taken care of it and he knew where he stood. But he happened to be on vacation by his refusal. It put him into the newspapers around the country. It also brought an issue up that pharmacists have been addressing. Do they have the same right as doctors to um, not uh, to reject um, certain subscriptions and, and certain procedures? Well, to make a long story short, on April 13th, 2004, after after the, the Wisconsin Department of Regulation and Licensing reviewed it and, and felt that he did not he, he was in his rights to be able to resist, uh, uh, to not have to fulfill that that, that obligation of that prescription, um, but said he did not op- operate in a competent manner towards the public. 
So on April 13, 2004, the administrative law judge agreed and ruled that he must take six credit hours uh, of ethic courses and pay the full cost of the proceedings of about $20,000. The point is that his principles that he took to stand up cost him dearly. And I think anytime our values collide with culture, there is going to be some resistance. There's going to be uh, there's going to be some pushback. And the point isn't whether or not you agree with the pharmacist, but when you live by your values and principles, it will cost you dearly. You cannot be double minded, as this passage reminds us. So you stand firm. You must be authentic and strong as you submit yourself wholeheartedly to God. Thomas Carlyle, Carlyle, 19th century Scottish historian, philosopher and author said adversity is hard on a man. But for everyone who can handle prosperity, there are a hundred who can handle adversity. That's what God's people are made of. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by good deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from God, from, from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, the devil. For where you have any envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So what does that mean for me personally and practically? Submission to God is an attitude of the heart. His grace is poured out in abundance on those who are willing to humble themselves. As James 4, 6 reminds us, but he gives more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Or 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him and he will care for you because he cares for you. You need to memorize that. You need to put that uh, on your mirror. You need to to have that in in your pocket to be able to remember that passage. He cares for you. Well, finally, is to trust the Lord and that he will lift you up in his due time. And verse nine is to grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There are ten imperatives, commands, in verse, from verse 7 to 10. In verse 9, there are four of those imperatives. They all point to one essential thing, and that is the importance of repentance in the life of the Christian and his growth as he receives God's grace. If you want to live by God's agenda, what do you need to do? You need to make it a daily priority. You need to release and submit wholeheartedly to him and trust him by cultivating a repentant heart. And then you will begin to experience the joy of walking in humility. You cannot serve God and walk in your pride. One story is told of a, of a man named Uncle Zeke who lived in Shoe, Texas, and he could not ever admit he was wrong, no matter what. He struggled with that. So one day, Uncle Zeke was walking along the street and he happened to shuffle into the blacksmith's shop and sawdust was all over the floor. And what he didn't know was that just before he got there, the blacksmith had been working hard on this uncooperative horseshoe and, and he was hitting it this way and battling and putting it in the fire and it was black all over. And, and, and so it just finally just threw it off in the sawdust. 
And it was hot and it was an uncooperative horseshoe. And just about that time, Uncle Zeke, he walks in and he saw this curious looking thing on the on the ground. And, and so he picked it up and and, uh, and not knowing it was still hot. Well, naturally, he dropped it quickly. And the old blacksmith um, over his glasses kind of kind of hot, ain't it, Zeke? Well, you know what Zeke said? He said, nope, just doesn't take me long to look at a horseshoe. <laughs> Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him against speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge, you're putting yourself in the judgment seat of God. You're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? When you slander, judge, or in pride exalt yourself over another by putting them down, you in turn are placing yourself in the judgment seat of God. You and I are not able to save or destroy eternally anyone. So why do we judge? The reminder is this for us to remove and move in the opposite spirit, the spirit of Christ, to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a blessing. In general, we are to encourage and build up each other. What about those in the family who we don't see eye to eye with? Are we to avoid them? No, the scripture reminds us to bless them. What if it's a one way street? Trust the Lord to lift you up. He'll redeem you. He can always think, you know, we can always think of a loophole if cause some condition. But we are to follow the spirit of blessing and to bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, Jesus said in Luke 6.28. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, Romans 12.14. In closing, I have a little assignment for you. In your bulletin, bulletin insert, somewhere in there, I want you to make just three lines. Just make three lines. Go ahead and do that. Just make three lines. And on that first line, I want you to put the name of someone that you've had a conflict with. Just write their name in there. In that first line. And after you put that in, it shouldn't take too long because every one of us has had conflict with someone at some point or another. And some name will come to mind. Maybe throughout this message, God has brought someone to mind. Put that name in there. And then on that second line, I want you to put how you can pray for them. Maybe they need a soften heart. Maybe... They just uh, needing grace, forgiveness. I don't know. But just put how you can be praying for them. On that third line. I want you to write very simply one step that you're going to take to try to restore that broken or fractured relationship. Get their name, how you can be praying for them. And it's amazing when you pray for someone, how it changes your heart. And begin to see things from their perspective. And then write. What action are you going to take? Are you going to write them? Are you going to give them a call? The more personal, the better. And then com- commit to completing number three by the end of the week. I promise that if you do this, you will discover the joy of living by God's agenda. Because God's agenda is all about reconciliation. Let's pray as John comes to the piano. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We glorify you. 
Lord, we often find ourselves in situations where we're not exactly sure how we would respond or what we should do. We have that battle internally with what is the appropriate thing to say or do. Holy Spirit, we ask for your guidance. Lord, for us to be able to, as you've brought individuals to mind, how we might pray for them, how we might encourage them, and how we might be a peacemaker in the process that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name.